From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, thank you for tuning in for this Tuesday edition of Washington Watch. Coming up, a handful of states have primary elections today, Alabama, Arkansas, and Georgia. Texas has two runoff elections from their earlier primary. The turnout reports from Georgia are revealing something. They're revealing the claims that election reform in the Peach State would suppress turnout are, well, not true. But that doesn't keep those like Stacey Abrams from peddling those claims. The question about voter suppression and voter turnout is causation without correlation. We, I'm sorry, you can make mistakes even when you know what you're talking about. It's correlation without causation. We know that increased turnout has nothing to do with suppressant. And could it be she doesn't know what she's talking about? The concern about voter suppression was never the real issue. Shame. Shame on the Democrats who pushed the big lie that a grand scheme was afoot to prevent millions of Americans from voting. It was never true. It was just to push their pre-existing policy agenda. That was Republican Senate leader Mitch McConnell earlier today. We'll get an update on today's primaries from Washington Examiner's congressional reporter, Virginia Abram, in just a moment. The House Freedom Caucus sent a letter to President Biden yesterday weighing in on the controversial proposals before the World Health Assembly in Geneva this week that could surrender national uh, sovereignty if they are adopted. The Freedom Caucus said the U.S. should withdraw from the WHO or demand a change in leadership. Well, that change in leadership is not happening. As earlier today, the Assembly announced the reappointment of the controversial Tedros Ghebreyesus as the Director General of WHO for another five years. The 75th World Health Assembly, on the nomination of the Executive Board, appoints Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus as Director General of the World Health Organization. We'll talk with Congressman and Dr. Andy Harris, a member of the House Freedom Caucus, in just a moment. And the Indiana legislature overrode the Republican governor's veto today of a girls' sports protection measure. The focus now shifts to Louisiana, where the state Senate passed a prohibition on males and female sports for the second year in a row. Now, the Democratic governor, John Bell Edwards, vetoed the measure last year. It is now back on his desk. Will he sign it? We're going to find out. We're going to talk with the author of the bill, Louisiana State Senator Beth Mizell, later here on Washington Watch. Also, I'll have an update for you on State Farm. I'm going to tell you your actions for State Farm to respond. In fact, I invited their CEO to come on Washington Watch today to explain their muddled response. And they did not take up our offer. So Will Hilt, Executive Director of Consumers Research, will be here with an update later on Washington Watch. And finally, the results of an independent investigation of sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention was released to the public on Sunday night. Now, the 288-page report has sent shockwaves throughout the nation's largest Protestant denomination, as well as it should. The Baptist scandal follows in the wake of the Catholic Church's sex scandal and Hollywood's Me Too moment. How did the church get to this point? Now, answering that question will help us answer the question of how does the church get to where it needs to be? I'll be joined by Dr. Al Mohler, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, for that conversation. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. In fact, uh, I want to encourage our listeners in Alabama, Georgia, Arkansas, Texas, and in parts of Minnesota. 
FRC Action is a part of the iVoter Guide Coalition working to provide voters with important information on where the candidates stand on the issues. If you would like to know, go to frcaction.org and click on Voter Resources. There's still time to vote in today's primary. So if you've not voted, I encourage you to do so. Our verse for today, coming from the stand on the Word Bible reading plan, is found in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 and 23. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. King Saul attempted to rationalize his disobedience to God by saying his actions were to enable him to give an offering to God. But what does God value most? Here it is. He values our obedience, not what we can do for him, not what we can offer him, but rather our obedience to him. To find out more about our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. As I mentioned, voters in Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Minnesota, and Texas have been heading to the polls today for critical races. And a major focus has been on Georgia, where a record number of ballots were cast ahead of today's contest, despite, despite the left's claims last year that the state's new voter integrity law was Jim Crow 2.0 and would suppress voters. Well, what are some of the takeaways from today's primaries and runoff? Well, here to give us an overview is Virginia Abram, a congressional reporter at Washington Examiner. Virginia, welcome to Washington Watch. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. So what are the big races that everyone uh, is focused on, that they're focused on today? So as you mentioned, in Georgia, we have a few pretty high-profile races that we're looking at. We have the gubernatorial primary as well as a Senate primary in Georgia. So with the uh, gubernatorial primary, it's a really interesting situation that you touched on um, just a few minutes ago with uh, former President Donald Trump having uh, recruited and endorsed Senate, uh, former Senator David Perdue, you know, to run against Brian Kemp, who is the sitting governor. Um, and so that's definitely showing some faction within the Republican Party between uh, between uh President Trump and his former vice president, uh, who endorsed Kemp. And uh, as we saw in that clip a little bit earlier over uh, if the election integrity issue is really going to make a difference at the ballot box, because that comes down to what this primary is about. Um, I also well, let's, go ahead. Let's talk about how let's talk about that for just a moment, because I think we see something in the early voter turnout numbers. What can you tell us about the early voter uh, turnout? Well, it definitely shows that what Democrats were saying about how these new election laws were going to affect uh, affect voter turnout just isn't true. There are record numbers of turnout. This is high enthusiasm election. Um, in, in other states, we've seen that, that Republicans especially are very enthused, um, almost double the number of Republican turnout of primary voters in some states than Democrats. Could it be that um, voters may see they have more confidence in the election system with the reforms and therefore they're turning out in higher numbers? Definitely could be. Um, you know, you, you never really know how how voters are going to react to something until there's an election to test it. And that's what we're seeing tonight. 
Well, hopefully we'll get some exit polling information on uh, what has helped spur on that uh, voter enthusiasm. Virginia, thanks so much for taking time to join us today. Uh, great to talk with you. Thank you so much. And folks, again, if you live in those states, uh, there's still time to, to go out and cast your vote. We all need to be participants in the process. As I mentioned earlier today, the WHO's director general was reelected to a second five-year term, even as criticisms abound over the way he led the agency during the COVID-19 pandemic, parroting the narrative from the Chinese Communist Party throughout the entire time. Now, ahead of the WHO's chief's reelection, the House Freedom Caucus here in the U.S. sent a letter yesterday to President Joe Biden urging him to stop empowering who. And now joining me now to talk more about this and uh, other matters is Dr. Andy Harris, congressman from the 1st District of Maryland. Dr. Harris, welcome back to the program. Uh, good to be with you, Tony. Now, you have been an outspoken critic of WHO for quite some time because of the way they handled the pandemic and the way they set on information and basically provided a smokescreen of cover for China. Your reaction to the fact that uh, the Assembly has nominated him and confirmed him for another five years? Well, I'm not surprised. You know, the Assembly, uh, it's made up of the U.N. membership. We know the U.N. membership is not friendly to freedom and liberty. Uh, it hasn't been for years. So I'm not surprised at the action. I am surprised that the United States has uh, gone back in with who? Uh, President Trump, as you know, was going to withdraw from it. But President Biden jumped right back in. That was one of your requests is for the Freedom Caucus, making the request that the, the United States withdraw from WHO or that it addresses the organization's rampant corruption. What now? Uh, we have him reelected and you even had the administration pushing regulation amendments, changes to regulations that would surrender more national sovereignty. Uh, that, that's right. Clearly, with this with this leadership in place, this is the wrong time to do anything like that. Uh, you know, this leadership ignored what was going on in China. I think what we're going to have to do is when, again, if we win the majorities back in the House and the Senate, I think we're going to have to consider withdrawing the fund, our funding, America's funding for the World Health Organization, send a clear message uh, that they can't do this, uh, that they can't be just sycophants to uh, uh, communist China. Uh, and and if, they, if they're not going to run the run the place, honestly, then uh, we shouldn't be part of it. And, and I want to underscore that for just a moment. So our our listeners and viewers will understand the role of the Congress. Congress has the purse strings. And so if the Republicans have a majority in Congress, you can defund these things by simply not providing the resources that the federal government can spend is supporting WHO or any other entity that is running contrary to American values. That's absolutely right. And, you know, if the president wants to wants to shut down government over over that fight, let's have that discussion, because I think the American people realize they do not want our sovereignty turned over to the World Health Organization, which is run by, again, a friend of the communist Chinese. Well, speaking of sovereignty, speaking of funding, speaking of conflict, we have the issue of Title 42, where a federal judge on Friday uh, said that the administration cannot suspend the application or the use of these emergency provisions under Title 42 at the southern border. That's a victory. But how long lived of a victory will that be? 
Well, I don't know. It depends on it depends on what the appeal for, from from that judge's decision is. But the fact of the matter is, the administration wants to have it both ways. They just recently extended the COVID emergency, which was scheduled to expire on July fifteenth. We're taking no action on May fifteenth. It automatically extends. So the administration wants to have it both ways. They want to have a COVID emergency for uh, domestic purposes, and then they want to have no COVID emergency at the southern border. Again, this is another area of check and balance. If you have a Republican-controlled Congress, uh, they can provide checks to the administration in terms of what's happening on our border and what is being funded and what is not being funded. Is that correct? That's absolutely right. Uh, you know, the fact of the matter is uh, we're, fund we're funding our border agents uh, to process um, virtual amnesty. Uh, they, again, they, they bring people in. They, uh, these, uh, these illegal immigrants requ request asylum, and then we just release them into the interior. Uh, we, we shouldn't be funding that. We should be funding nothing except turning back illegal immigrants at this point in time. Well, another of many issues that will be on the ballot uh, on the ballot in November as people head to the polls. Uh, Dr. Andy Harris, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you. Dr. Andy Harris, member of the House Freedom Caucus. And, you know, uh, this the issue of the that what's happening at the border is, you know, the Biden administration wants to to lift this Title 42 restrictions. We've got a, a federal judge actually from Louisiana on uh, Friday said he can't cannot remove those at the present time. That's being appealed by the Biden administration. Now, this even Democrats, in fact, some are relieved. Many Democrats are relieved that this federal judge stepped in a Trump appointee because that may keep it from becoming an election issue for them because they know what's happening at our southern border is an absolute disaster. Don't go away. We come back with more right after this. Join Family Research Council on an exciting two-year journey through the Bible. FRC's Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan helps you to dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into the cultural issues of the day. God has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. By studying the Bible, we can see God's plan unfold throughout the past and be encouraged by how the truth of Scripture is still relevant in our current day and will be into the future. The Stand on the Word reading plan engagingly and thoughtfully takes you through the daily scripture to help you stay grounded in God's truth. You can start this reading plan with Family Research Council today. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your family and friends. Visit frc.org Bible to begin this journey through the Bible today. Although most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, studies show that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. That is why Family Research Council's Center for Biblical Worldview was created. The center serves to help Christians understand the importance of Scripture, why it must be authoritative, and how it can equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC Center for Biblical Worldview provide resources to help prepare believers to give a scriptural answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access these free resources at frc.org worldview. 
See the center's latest blogs, op-eds, and publications by signing up for the newsletter at frc.org slash worldview email. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Again, search Stand Firm and download the app today. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Just earlier this afternoon, the Indiana legislature overrode a veto by their Republican governor that um, now puts into place, will set the stage for Indiana having in place a measure that will protect women's sports in that state. Well, now the eyes of America shift to Louisiana where for the second year in a row, the Louisiana lawmakers, the legislature, has passed legislation that, among other provisions, makes athletic teams or sporting events designed for females, girls, or women, open only to students who are biologically female. Now, I I, I tell you, even the fact that we have to talk about this and then have to pass legislation tells you how far we've gone. Well, the Louisiana Senate voted 32 to 6 yesterday to pass SB 44, Louisiana's Fairness in Women's Sports Act, which passed the House last week, 72 to 21. It now heads to the desk of Democrat Governor John Bell Edwards, who vetoed nearly identical legislation last year. Joining me now to talk about this and what's next is the bill's sponsor, Louisiana State Senator Beth Mizell, who joins us by phone. Senator, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. It's great to be here. Uh, It's like deja vu all over again. It is. Well, thank you for not giving up and continuing the fight. You know, the votes this time were very close to what we saw last year. What is different this time around? I I think the biggest difference in the actual vote, uh, and that could have an impact on the uh, veto situation, is that we amended the bill, which we didn't do last year, but we amended intramurals out of the bill. Um, personally, I didn't feel it affected the impact of the bill. The, you know, the bill was to protect women's sports and competition and scholarship and records and uh, everything that leads to the standards we have in women's sports. So uh, we took intramurals out in order to strengthen support from uh, more moderate thinkers about the bill, and that solidified our, our veto override number now. So we, we feel really good that um, if the governor does veto it, that we have the votes in place now uh, to, to get through the override. 
Now, also, but, but the other difference, Tony, is the uh, Leah Thompson. You know that changed everything in the way people perceived right. the bill from last year. Right, you're absolutely right. There's been a lot that has happened since last year. In fact, you've had many other states. And as I just mentioned earlier today, the Indiana legislature overriding their Republican governor with a, a similar piece of legislation. So there's certainly a lot of momentum going into this this year's passage of this bill. Any word from uh, Governor Edwards uh, regarding this legislation and what he might do? I, I saw a quote, actually, uh, where he said he wasn't uh, he's not committed to vetoing it. So. I, I don't know. That's a strange way of putting it, but I, I, I don't know. I saw him in a Bible study this morning, and we didn't talk about it. So uh, I, I'm very hopeful, and really based on the, we you know we surveyed the state. The survey came out above 80 percent of people agreeing with the bill. Uh, I mean, you can't ignore how the majority of Louisianans feel about it. So uh, I'm hoping he'll take that into consideration as well. I would hope so, given the fact that Louisiana is a uh, a pretty red state, a very conservative state, and you've had many states that are not as conservative as Louisiana pass these measures. And quite frankly, I don't think this is a stretch just to say biological women are the only ones who can participate in women's sports. <laughs> and, and by the way, folks, if you live in Louisiana, Beth, I'm going to give out the, the phone number for those that uh, might want to give the governor a call. The governor's uh, switchboard number is 225-342-7015. That's 225-342-7015. One five. If you'd like to, uh, to give the governor a call, if you live in Louisiana, you can also go to TonyPerkins.com. I've got his email address up there as well. Uh, uh, Senator, uh, other measures that are making their way through the legislature that the governor uh, is poised to veto or threatening to veto? I think, you know, the concealed carry bills, uh, I've heard about that. I'm not really sure. You know, last year we had some election uh affecting bills that that uh, he vetoed. So I haven't really seen anything on the radar as yet. We, it, as it tends to happen, uh, it's it's one of those deals where at the end of session, we're getting the more controversial bills on the, uh, on the other side right. now. So uh, when we get those through, we'll be able to see a, a better idea of um, where the vetoes are going to fall. Right. I know how that works. And they'll sit on them until the legislators go home, hoping they won't come back and, to Baton Rouge to deal with and them. That's what we're doing. We're literally wait. It's the last week almost. And we're just getting a lot of the really more contentious bills on the other side. Well, Senator Mizell, again, I want to thank you for your leadership and not giving up on this issue. And and uh, I hope to see you uh, Thursday at the Jerusalem prayer breakfast uh, there oh, at the uh, Capitol Museum. There. Look, look All right, I'll see you there. Thanks for the opportunity. All right, thanks for joining us. Senator Beth Mizell of uh, Louisiana dealing with a sports bill. And by the way, uh, this Thursday, Michelle Bachman, former congresswoman from Minnesota and presidential candidate, will be uh, in Baton Rouge. I'll be joining her at the Jerusalem Prayer Breakfast. If you'd like to come, I believe it starts at 7.30 in the morning. If you're in the Baton Rouge area, she'll be the keynote speaker. I'll be speaking along with her. You can go to the website, TonyPerkins.com, and follow links over to the Louisiana Family Forum. That is uh, one of the key sponsors of the Jerusalem Prayer Breakfast. If there was ever a time we need to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem, and really the peace of the world, it is now. 
And prayer is one of the key weapons in our arsenal, and we need to make sure that we are using it. So I would encourage you to join us if you're in the Baton Rouge area. Find out more about the Jerusalem Prayer Breakfast. Go to TonyPerkins.com and follow the links over. All right, coming up, uh, State Farm. We talked about this yesterday. They were caught being not a good neighbor, but a creepy neighbor. And guess what? Because of your response, in large part because of how you responded to yesterday's program, last night they released a statement. It was muddled. It was weak. But clearly they are in damage control. You know, they've created, they need to send out their own disaster response team just to deal with what they have done. But it's not over. They have not backed away from their commitment to partner with organizations that want to indoctrinate your children. Now, I invited the CEO to come on the program, and, well, he didn't take me up on it. But that's not to keep us from talking about it. When we come back, next steps on how we hold State Farm accountable for being a creepy neighbor. That's next. Don't go away. Most of us have at least one friend or family member who is pro-choice or have engaged with someone who doesn't share our pro-life views. As Christians, we are called to defend the weak and to speak truth in love. When we advocate for the unborn, we must do so in a way that is both honest and loving. At Family Research Council, we recognize the inherent dignity of every human life, from conception until natural death. The value of human life is not conditional upon its usefulness to others or an arbitrary evaluation of a person's quality of life. Rather, the value of human life is unconditional because God, the author of life, has created all humans in his image. FRC's Center for Human Dignity exists to give a voice to the voiceless by helping others speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Access our free resources at frc.org life so that you can address abortion, human trafficking, pornography, and more. Attention university students. Do you feel called to promote faith, family, and freedom in public policy and the culture? Are you hoping to grow in Christian leadership? Then join Family Research Council for an unforgettable internship. FRC's 12 to 15 week internship program is designed to educate university students who are passionate about public service and who believe that a biblical worldview is necessary for government to serve the people and for culture to thrive. As an intern, you work alongside FRC's experts who will invest in your personal and professional development as you prepare to make a kingdom impact in the world. This paid internship offers free housing in D.C., allowing you to experience community with other faithful conservatives in the nation's capital. For more information and to apply, visit frc.org slash internships. That's frc.org slash internships. Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Glad to have you with us on this Tuesday afternoon. The website is TonyPerkins.com. If you tuned in to yesterday's program, you'll recall that we highlighted a breaking news story on how State Farm, that's the insurance company, recently launched a program that would enlist hundreds of staff volunteers across the country to distribute LGBTQ plus themed books to teachers, community centers, and libraries. Now, these books were targeting children as young as five kindergartners. 
Now, State Farm's engagement in woke indoctrination came to light after an email was leaked to the group Consumers Research, uh, whose executive director joined us yesterday. Well, hours after the show, State Farm's chief diversity officer, not quite sure why an insurance company needs a chief diversity officer, but anyway, they sent out an email to uh, State Farm agents telling them that the program had been the subject of news and customer inquiries. So now they will, quote, no longer support that program. But that doesn't mean the end of this. Back with us to talk about this is Will Hill. He's the executive director of Consumers Research. Will, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me. All right, so the muddled response was almost, it sounded like to me they were trying to appease both sides, and they really said nothing other than, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. We're just going to find another way to do it. Yeah, basically, the response was completely unsatisfactory. Uh, all they simply said was that um, uh, they would not uh, be trying to push public schools to uh, take take these books uh, any longer. Um, they didn't say that they would stop trying to get them into the hands of kindergartners, five-year-olds plus, five age, ages five plus. Uh, they didn't, most notably, say that they were going to try to do any actual uh, damage control around trying to get these books out of the places that they've been donated to, to get them out of the hands of five-year-olds. And these are both things that I, I think any reasonable company would be doing. And so we're completely unsatisfied with their response. We don't think that this uh, should be the end of, of where it goes. And, and we're not going to, we're not done. We're going to keep going after this company until they stop being a creepy neighbor. What, what I saw in their statement that uh, tells me that they really didn't get the message they said, quote, we will continue to explore how we can support organizations that provide tools and resources that align with our commitment to diversity and inclusion. Uh, I, I invited the CEO to come on because I wanted him to explain what that means. Um, what do you think it means? Well, I think they talk about parents should be the people that are having these discussions with the kids. And then they talk about maybe arming those parents with these books. So they, they haven't even said that they will stop trying to get these transgender propaganda books uh, in the hands of, of five-year-olds. Uh, they haven't even committed to that. So it, it's just a completely unsatisfactory answer. As you said, the, the language is muddled. It's unclear what they even mean. Uh, they started out, it, it's important to note here, that they actually started out by lying about what they had done. When news outlets, when we first broke the story, reached out to them for a comment, they said, this didn't even happen. And when they were provided with photographic evidence that it did, uh, that was when they put out this, this statement. So they are an untrustworthy company. They have lied about this. They have uh, issued a muddled statement. I don't think any customer and certainly any parent should take them at their word on this. And they don't even, you know, as you know, fully explain what they even mean. And so we're going to be keep going after this company until they do a, a few things which we can talk about. Well, let's talk about that. What what does State Farm, what do they need to do to, to, to correct this situation? Well, I think before State Farm could even begin to say that they are not a creepy neighbor, they need to do three very basic things. First, they need to come clean. And that means they need to hire a credible external third party to audit every program that they have that targets children. Because if this is something that they're involved in, who knows, there might be other things that they have skeletons in their closet targeting children. So they need a full top to bottom audit by an external third party who's not trying to save anyone's job, doesn't have a dog in the fight, okay, just to find out 
what they're up to. Second, they need to uh, determine every single place where these books were donated, public library, community center, but most importantly, public, public or private schools where these books were, were placed on the shelves. Then third, they need to make that, they need to try and retrieve all of those materials. And they need to, third, they need to make this list public for parents so that parents can know whether their kids were possibly exposed to this material. And I think they need to go farther than that. I think they need to actively try to notify parents in the area where these books were donated so that parents are made aware of this and they can remedy the damage that State Farm has done. And if before, if, if any time before they do those three things, the idea that they give a lick about their customers, about America's parents, or most importantly, America's the safety of America's children, it's absurd. They clearly don't. And they are not a good neighbor. They are a creepy neighbor. Well, again, Will, we appreciate you uh, bringing this to our attention, to the attention of uh, the nation, and we're going to continue to track this. So as uh, this develops, we'll have you back on to find out more about it. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me on. And, folks, this is one of those things where you need to take action. As I've been thinking about this may explain why uh, my insurance rates are higher with Allstate. I mean, with, uh, with State Farm. I was looking at Allstate as an alternative. Uh, but I have State Farm, and, and it is kind of high. And this is where our the, what we're paying them is going to this. They need to lower my rates and quit putting out perverted material to, my, to our children. Maybe they could just focus on insurance. Anyway. I have a petition for you. Uh, it should be ready. You go to TonyPerkins.com, and you can uh, communicate with State Farm, uh, even your State Farm agent. They need to hear from you. This is not satisfactory. This is not acceptable, what they release. They need to totally disavow partnership with these extreme LGBTQ plus organizations that are peddling perversion to our children. And until they do, I'm telling you, I'm looking for a new, and even my, my uh, agent is a friend, and I've talked to him. We've talked to him. We're, we're going elsewhere if they don't fix this. All right, don't go away. Coming up, Dr. Al Moeller, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, joins me next here on Washington Watch. Religious liberty is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's own choosing and to live in accordance with those beliefs. It is an inherent human right. Therefore, Family Research Council's Center for Religious Liberty strives to advance religious liberty for all people of all faiths. Advocates for strong religious liberty protections are often labeled bigots. But for those familiar with the history of religious liberty in the United States, until recently, it was embraced by a majority of Americans. In fact, religious liberty has historically had bipartisan support. Today, efforts to restrict this freedom have become increasingly common. Therefore, Christians need to articulate with greater clarity why we support religious liberty and why all people are served when religious liberty thrives. Access the Center for Religious Liberty's free resources to learn more at frc.org slash religious-liberty. In today's culture, there are few examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need a model of leadership, strength, courage, and sacrificial love that they can look to. But where can they find it? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong, biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. 
men who will stand courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have the generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. At Family Research Council, we want to be able to keep you informed on our latest resources and events. Due to the growing threat of tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've created a tech subscription platform so that we can stay connected. So if we get canceled, you can continue to receive updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Just as I was uh, coming into the studio this afternoon, got notice that Governor Abbott had confirmed that 14 students were killed in Uvalde, Texas, uh, elementary school students, uh, along with the teacher. The gunman was also killed. This is uh, a tragic uh, detail still unfolding, and this had happened uh, earlier this afternoon. But just another tragic uh, incident um, pointing to how we have devalued life in this country, and I uh, I would just encourage you to pray for those uh, for those parents and those affected by that shooting in uh, Uvalde, Texas. All right. On Sunday, a 288-page uh, report was released by the Southern Baptist Convention Sexual Abuse Task Force and a third-party organization, Guidepost Solutions. It was uh, concerning the alleged mishandling of sexual abuse claims by the SBC Executive Committee, going back to uh, I think about 2000, uh, January 2000 going through June 14, 2021. And the findings, frankly, they're very troubling. Um, and they beg the question, how did the church get to this point? And I think that's an important question to ask because before we can answer the next question, that is, what's the way forward? Uh, I think we need to, just, to really wrestle with how the church got into such a predicament. With me now to talk about this is Dr. Al Mohler. He's the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and the author of The Gathering Storm, Secularism, the Culture, and the Church. Uh, Dr. Mohler, welcome back to the program. Tony, thank you. It's a, it's a sobering day to be with you, uh, but uh, I'm very glad, as always, to be with you. Well, I, I, as I began thinking about how to discuss this, and I, I'm not interested really in digging into the 288-page report. I've, I've scanned through it. I've looked at the uh, news reports of it, uh, and I've actually read your reaction. But I would like our viewers and listeners to hear your reaction to the report. Well, it's or- horrifying. You know, it's, it's even hard to come up with the words for it. It's, uh, it, it's, it's astounding. Uh, it's it's uh, 
it, it's something that incites anger and, uh, and and for that matter, brokenhearted, heartbroken remorse. It also means that our our first response uh, should be the great grief for and concern for so many lives that were so badly wounded by by those who can only be described as abusers, taking advantage oftentimes of the context of the church and sometimes even of the context of ministry uh, in order to prey on the very people they were to love and to serve. Yeah, I've, uh, in my many years in the Southern Baptist churches, I've I've actually encountered this, had to deal with, confront with, and address uh, sexual abuse uh, that took place, uh, not um, necessarily predatory, but it was uh, it was egregious nonetheless that uh, we had to deal with. But I, I think we have to ask the question. I mean, this comes now in the wake of the Catholic Church having their sex scandal. I mean, we we watched that. We saw that happen. We saw the devastation. We saw the the destruction of those lives. We see the tainted ministry. Then we saw even the, the secular culture with their Me Too moment. Why, why did it take us so long to get to this point of recognition that there's a problem? Well, sin loves darkness. And uh, we're, we're, we're told that uh, the sinners love darkness rather than light. And sin seizes the opportunity, as the Apostle Paul says in, in Romans chapter 7. And and so one of the problems is we've given too many opportunities. Uh, and, uh, you know, as tempting as it would be to say, you can look at the Roman Catholic priesthood and say that's a completely different issue. But the fact is we have created a situation in which we have sometimes elevated pastors and others uh, given uh, access to people which is just an unbiblical in its form. And and sin tells us, uh, the Bible tells us, that people will seize that opportunity. And that's exactly what, in a brokenhearted way, we have to recognize here. So, you know, how did it get, go by for so long? It's because so much of this was in the darkness. But, you know, Tony, you asked the question, so I've got to tell you, the, the even greater tragedy is some of this was in the light. A lot of this should have been known. A lot of this was known. People, when they did know, did not respond rightly. They didn't they didn't speak on behalf and act on behalf of those who were the victims. Instead, they, uh, one way or another, uh, were well, complicit in covering it up. Well, let me, let me tell you, part of that reason may be because I, I know the backlash that you get when you do address it. But here's right. where this is. You, you feel free to correct me. Um, but mm-hmm. this is my take on this. And again, based on personal experience, not so much from digging through the records of the Southern Baptist Convention, but that. I think the church got here is because we've neglected the word of God, that we are not exercising church discipline and following God's guidance for personal behavior and what we expect from and look for in our leaders. Yes. And, uh, you know, the Bible's really clear about this. I think of the Lord speaking through the prophet Jeremiah to condemn the shepherds who are, are not feeding the flock, but are rather taking advantage of the flock, indeed, even destroying the flock. And uh, th- that that should be horrifying beyond words. Yes, personal holiness and the and the part of those who are in church ministry and in responsibility. But I think there's more to it than that. In the sense that uh, I, I think some wrong reflexes have been driven into some forms of evangelical piety, where we just sometimes don't see abuse for what it is. We see sexual misbehavior, and we we think we can name that. We have a good name for it, but we we don't see abuse for what it is. And some of it's just structural. I mean, as you know, and would I'm sure absolutely affirm. You know, you, you have a pastor, there can be nothing 
that's a sexual relationship with someone in the church that is not abuse. Right, right. But again, when we, I, I think it's that we have been influenced, and I see this kind of in the response as well. I think we're influenced by the culture, and we kind of, we slip away from the standard of holiness that the Scripture provides. There's not, there's not a lot of wiggle room in the Scripture, and we, I think we've been more influenced by the culture than we're, you know, as has been said, we're influencing influencing the culture. And, and my concern in the response, and, and I'm, not, uh, I'm not nitpicking any of the proposals that have been put forth in this report, I'm only giving a word of caution, that uh, in some of the words or buzzwords that I see in here that I hear very much in the left, I think it's a return to Scripture. I think it's a return to, to personal holiness and an expectation that we are to be holy and we are to pursue sanctification through the Word of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, not the left solution of this, of, of uh, you know, more listening groups and, and stuff like that. We know what to do. The Word of God makes it very clear. Well, you know, the left has no concept of sin. A secularizing culture is not only, you know, without a doctrine of sin, it, it denies it. And so we understand that sin's involved in every single part of the human equation until Jesus comes. And so a part of our Christian responsibility is to call sin what it is. And you're right. The, the only antidote is the gospel of Jesus Christ and obedience to the commanded law of God and personal holiness. There are policies that need to be put in place. You know, I can remember when Mike Pence, was uh, criticized for following the so-called Billy Graham rule, which I have followed, largely the uh, encouragement of Billy Graham, as a matter of fact, who, who spoke at my inauguration. Um, you know, the, the world makes fun of that. But, you know, we, we have to avoid the opportunity for evil, and we have right. to avoid the appearance of evil, and we have to be a safe place where people come and say, I think something evil is taking place, and, and then we need to respond, rightly. That is exactly what I'm saying. I mean, that's a great illustration of what I'm talking about, doing things in a way that is different than the way the world does it, because when you do something different, you have different outcomes. But as you say, you know, when uh, when Mike Pence said that, he was ridiculed, he was mocked, uh, and, you know, that standard is laughed at. But if we want a different outcome than the world, then we have to pursue a different path. And that's what I believe Christianity, that's what the Bible not not Christianity as we've made it to be, but what the Bible instructs is that we're to be different. We're to follow a different path, even in a culture that has rejected that path. No, that's right. And I'm also thankful for common grace. So I, I, the illustration I've given to some pastors and others is this. You know, if you build a new child care wing on your church, the, the current guidelines are, you know, above about three feet, you make it glass so that, you know, everything's visible to everybody and, and sin can't seize an opportunity. You look at that, okay, that just, right. that's common grace. That right. just makes sense. We as Christians have to take it much further than that because we're going to be concerned with yeah. the human heart after all. But, you know, it, it, the, the secular world is going to look and say, look, this just shows you that there is no real sexual morality. And we've got to come back and say, no, we didn't live up to this. Christians understand that in a sinful world, we are going to see sin. But we've got to live up to the, the absolute standards of holiness and expectation, especially for pastors. I mean, the, the, the Apostle Paul right. says that to Timothy. And, and I think, look, there's, um, there's two sides to this. And this is how we... Uh, uh, I approached it with the, the group that I worked with a number of years ago, probably 30 years ago, uh, the first time, is that there, there are two things here. You want to deal with the individuals who have been taken advantage of, abused, uh, and have been the victims, but you also want to address this with a redemptive nature toward those who were the 
uh, perpetrators or the instigators of this. And because and, that that is what Christianity is. It is it is redemptive in nature. So, it, yes, it's calling it out, but it's also providing a path forward. Now, that doesn't mean they're in the pulpit the next Sunday, but it means we're we're concerned about their well-being when they repent, that they are brought back to fellowship with the body of Christ. You know, the, the Bible, uh, you know, points us to Christ and points us to the gospel. And I and totally agree that the, the gospel is where we want to see all persons come to know the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting and fellowship in the church by means of the gospel. The, the one thing I just want to stress, though, is that what we see is that some people use that as an opportunity for cheap grace in order to disclaim, yes. you know, God's forgiveness. And then the, the, the reality of what they have done is sometimes not dealt with. And look, there are times when clearly pastors should have picked up the phone and called the police, and they didn't. Uh, there there yeah, are times no, when, I, you know, the gospel doesn't say we don't believe in criminal consequences, and I, I know you believe that. So, you know, it, it, yes, we're not done uh, until we we, uh, we we live the gospel and preach the gospel and hope to see people won back to Christ. But you don't put a predator back in the pulpit. No, no, I, I, no, I'm absolutely 100% there. I was the case I was thinking of as mentioned was not a uh, predatory relationship. But you're absolutely right. Uh, we need to enforce the laws when laws have been broken. Let me ask you this, uh, Dr. Mueller, from your perspective as overseeing one of the flagship institutions for the Southern Baptist, how is this going to affect you in terms of preparing future pastors and ministry leaders? You know, nobody, when I was a seminary student, talked to me about this. Uh, but I grew up surrounded by faithful Christians preaching biblical Christianity and a biblical standard of morality. And so, and, and, and certainly when it came to issues of sexuality and behavior. And so those things were drilled into me, thankfully. I'm so thankful for that. But nobody talked to me about the unique, uh, opportunities that sometimes a church ministry and, and, and uh, even just pastoral ministry, uh, can uh, can all of a sudden open. And uh, we've got to tell these young pastors uh, that our expectation is fully that they will live holy lives, that they'll be faithful to their wives. And by the way, Tony, this just underlines again the goodness of God's gift of marriage <laughs> and the fact that pastors yeah. ought to be married and uh, that we're unconfused about gender and we're unconfused about the rightful, you know, place of sexuality and what God commands in sexual behavior. And, uh, you know, I, I think of 1 Timothy 3, and I think, you know, if we, if we had followed 1 Timothy 3, we wouldn't be in this position. Well, we are. And we've got to make a way forward in terms of the Southern Baptist being the largest Protestant denomination in America. A lot of eyes are focused on this. And, you know, what what troubled for the victims, um, Mm -hmm. but also my heart is um, is broken because this allows those who who want to mock the Lord to. To do so, we have given them, and I say we collectively as the Southern Baptist Convention, the opportunity to to mock God and bring reproach upon His name. And I think that is what uh, you know damages the witness of the church. Um, and I, I, and we we've got to deal with this. I, there there is a way forward, but I think it, it it is in repentance. It is a return to the Word of God, and I think it is, you know, as I see it, Dr. Moeller, we're just going to have to to move forward not listening to the voices of the critics, but do what the Word of God says. Can be, we must be undeterred in the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the Word of God, advocating all of biblical truth. 
I, I just take solace in this, Tony, and, and that is that, that Jesus Christ will be glorified in his church. And if at times that takes the humbling of his church, humanly speaking, um, to bring glory to him, I just pray the Southern Baptist Convention will learn in this moment how to bring even greater glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we've seen, Dr. Moeller, all things that can be shaken are being shaken. And uh, now we see um, the Southern Baptist Convention being shaken. And, you know, Romans eight twenty eight, all things work together for good um, for, for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. I believe that the church, as you said, as we deal with this appropriately, uh, hopefully the future will be stronger in terms of uh, the witness of the church and the ministry that the church does to a very uh, to a society, to a culture that's hurting and in desperate need of the truth. I think of that closing passage in the book of Ecclesiastes. The end of the matter is this, fear God and keep his commandments. Uh, that's what we've got to lean into right now. Keep his commandments, fear God, preach the gospel, love Christ's people, show that to the world. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Dr. Al Moeller, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining me for this uh, conversation today. It's been an honor, Tony. Thank you. All right, Dr. Al Moeller, a lot of respect uh, for him and his uncompromising claim of the Word of God, proclamation of the Word of God. And uh, it is another matter of prayer. There's so much that we need to be praying for. But look, the truth is the truth. We need to be anchored to the truth. And this begins in the home. It begins with parents teaching their children the Word of God and then modeling it for them. doesn't mean we're perfect. But Proverbs says that a righteous man will stumble seven times, but he gets back up. It isn't called a lifestyle. He calls it a sin and does what's right. Folks, thanks so much for joining us. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 